So Jay and Brian introduced a new sermon series that we're doing called We the Church. And my plan on this that I felt God calling me to do was to put together some messages about who we are as Living Hope Missionary Church with our new leadership team, um, our new structures, and as we think about our new pastor coming, who are we? Who are we the church? And our anchor verse for this, I feel really needs to be what I read for our call to worship, where Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am also. It goes so well with what we do here on Sunday mornings, but so well with what we do between Sunday and the next Sunday. Meeting with one another. Talking about who we are and whose we are. To have form and function of structures within the local church is really nothing new. It's something that you can find in the Bible from the day of creation. God was very structured when he created all things and all people. When he created Adam and Eve and he brought them together in marriage and said that they would be one growing together that the man would be the the head, but he would love her and remember that the rib came from underneath his arm, next to his heart, that he would love her and cherish her, and the two would be one. And so marriage was a structure that was developed by God from the beginning. And he continued then to, to develop structures of nations and different people groups. And today we see structures as different local churches and the structure within the church. Even though we are an organism, we are the body of Jesus Christ. He provides us the leadership that we need. Our structures within the church need to be flexible. Flexible enough to support a few things. One, it needs to be flexible enough to support our local culture. Right here at the outskirts of Fort Wayne, Indiana, and right here on the edge of the great rural communities that we have among us. It needs to be flexible enough to support our evangelical perspective within the Missionary Church USA. And it needs to be flexible enough to support this time in history that we are, we are in, this season of our church. The church may have started in 19, or 1891, almost said 1981. It was 1891, but our functional structures need to be flexible enough to make a kingdom difference in 2022 and beyond. It's an important thing to understand what our structures are, how we relate within these structures to determine 
what changes might be needed or when old ministry structures might need to be got, given, a, given away, given, walking away from. Like I said earlier, we need to let go sometimes so that God can make us new. If you want to get anything out of this sermon series, we the church, then you are going to have to apply your life and apply this congregation at Living Hope Missionary Church to things that I want to say there's a precondition to. The precondition is this, listen close, there must be a longing in your heart to experience more of what God has in store for you. There needs to be a longing in your heart to experience more of what God has in store for this local church. There needs to be a longing in your heart to experience more of what God has for you, this church, and this community. If you have that, this series will be help, helpful. It will help identify the leadership structure, the forms and functions of ministry for 2022. We're going to look at eldership. That's what Brian and Jay helped us get started with last week. We're going to look at holistic small groups. When we did our natural church development survey, and we found out that there were some areas that we were strong in and some areas that we were kind of weak in, holistic small groups was our very lowest score. And people still today say, Pastor, what's holistic mean? And the natural church development says that's one of the most important words. Not just that we have a program of small groups, but it needs to be holistic. So we'll talk more about that next week. On January 30th, we're going to have an opportunity as a church congregation to celebrate new memberships and baptism. That's always a joy for the church whenever we can do that. And then we'll get back into the series and we'll look at empowering teaching and missions-focused, passionate spirituality. Again, the focus, or the focus or for the important part of being spiritual is that you need to be passionate about it. And we're also going to look at the role of the pastor. And it may just coincide with a new pastor coming or an announcement of the new pastor the pastor search team is doing a great job. Right now they've got um, three top candidates and we interviewed one yesterday and the other two are going to be interviewed tomorrow and Tuesday. So they're making great progress. So it's going to be soon as compared to less than a year instead of over a year like when I first started here in January last year. So this sermon series, though, on elders, I want us to really look at biblical eldership because, like I said, the structures are biblical. God does structure things. Even though you're not going to be able to open up the Bible and say, okay, here's a blueprint for your local church, there is a lot of guidance about eldership within the church. We're going to look at plurality of elders. 
And the fact that um, we're not just talking about Jay and Brian and, and they're running the church, and we're not just looking for a king of the church, the next new pastor. The pastor and the elders are all elders working together. That's what I mean by plurality. To hold one another accountable. To stay at that 30,000 foot level to be leaders of the church, but not to do everything. That's what the church body is for. We're going to look at qualifications. We're going to look briefly at that, mostly giving you the scriptures that you need to go to. I think it's in your notes um, to go through it and look at it. But we're also going to see that um, to be qualified to be an elder doesn't mean that, that you are every day, every moment of your life going to meet every one of those qualifications because guess what? We're all human and we all sin. But I can tell you what, the elders know how to rebound and they know how to hold one another accountable so that we all strive to meet all those qualifications as much as we can. We're going to look at the fact that God honors obedience to his processes. I watched this little church online while I was gone and Max did a great job at preaching at the end of the year and then preaching about a new land at the beginning of the year. And do you remember what he said? Write this down, he said. Israel had their strength related to their obedience to God. And that's what I'm talking about here, where God honors obedience to his processes. Max probably didn't know I was going to talk about that but he hit it right on. I wrote that before he mentioned it. Because it's scriptural. It is what we've learned from being in relationship with God, is that he loves it when we are obedient to his processes, and he can function more freely. So we're going to look at what that looks like for elders. All right, and then I was going to have testimonies, but it was a good thing we didn't plan on doing this all in one day. I didn't know Brian and Jay wanted to talk as much as they did. (laughs) You did a great job sharing your testimonies. That's exactly what we wanted to hear. So biblical eldership. We call it biblical eldership because it honestly and accurately represents the biblical teaching of eldership. Both the apostle Paul and Peter use a shepherd-sheep imagery when defining the work of elders. Biblical eldership promotes the true nature of the New Testament church. The church is the family of God, and thus its leadership structure should harmonize with and promote the family nature of the church organism. Biblical eldership places uh, the leaders of the church into a genuine accountability. The elders, which includes the lead pastor, will have genuine peer accountability, meeting together, sharing very private things 
together and talking about things of the church. Not just sin within the church, but even sin within ourselves. And bringing that into check by rebounding. Elders, remember 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness to make us holy again, to sanctify us. But we also know the realities of sin, human depravity, and Satan. This peer relationship is going to be something that the church can look at and say, I want some of that. And you should get some of that. That's where you get your holistic small group. Invite people to be closer to you, to share with you that you can share with them. That's what sharpens us. That's what balances us. That's what comforts us and protects us and strengthens us. And the elders will be a beacon that you can look to to see that. Biblical eldership provides balanced pastoral care for the church. Each elder contributes their own wisdom, their own perspective, their own knowledge and experience to group decision-making in the care of God's people. The first pastor that we interviewed said that's the way he functions when we were talking about the structure in the church, and that's what we're looking for. Are you going to lord it over us or are you going to be part of us and are you going to seek guidance from elders and others within the church? It provides the local church with a balanced leadership body and it protects the church from one person's extremes and imbalances. Instead of a pastor lording it over a church, a plurality of eldership, a plurality of working together is needed. A group of elders sharing authority, sharing the diversity of giftedness, knowledge, and experience. The lead pastor of Living Hope will be the servant leader among leaders. Much like the preeminent apostles, Paul, and Peter. They were servant leaders among the leaders. A servant leader among leaders directly exhorts the local church elders to shepherd God's flock. Shepherd elders protect. Shepherds feed. Shepherds of the local church will lead and care for God's flock. The New Testament scriptures also reveals plurality of leadership in all the first churches. And I've got a lot of scriptures here. If you want them, I can give them to you later. <laughs> but most of them are from Acts and then Timothy and Titus where we hear a lot about lead, um, eldership. So let's look at the qualifications. Um. Actually, I forgot to read my scripture already, but 
Um, this one actually gets us into qualifications. First Peter chapter 5, it talks a lot about the elders of the flock here. First Peter chapter 5, it's on page 1891 in your pew Bible. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. So that's Peter writing as a fellow elder. And a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Here's what he says. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watch over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, by the way, let's just be clear. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory and will never fade away. The New Testament provides more instruction on eldership qualifications than on any other aspect of eldership. The scriptural requirements for elder include basically three groupings. Here's the groupings. Moral and spiritual character. Teaching and leading abilities. And spirit-given motivation to serve as an elder. So I hope that you heard these types of things from Brian and Jay as they shared yesterday. Their moral and spiritual character. They're teaching and leading abilities just to be able to get up here in front of the church on the last minute deal where I woke up and was talking with Max and Brian and it's like, finally Brian said, you better not come in. <laughs> and they were w willing to get up and lead and teach. And spirit-given motivation to serve as an elder Biblical elders are required to meet moral and spiritual qualifications. And they should teach sound Bible doctrine to protect the church from false teaching. Doing the right things in the right way needs to be emphasized in the church. The elders will address outrageous wrongdoings in the church, but these tasks need to be few and far between. The elders should be spending most of their time promoting God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Like the servant Christ, elders are to sacrifice their time and their energy for the good of others. Our elders are loving, humble servants, striving to manifest the income parable life of Jesus Christ to this congregation and to this community. Elders are not perfect. They are men, but they are not without sin. That's why we need the plurality. That's why we need to held, hold one another accountable. And that's why we need to remind each other of 1 John 1.9. And then we need to change our lives better together. The community will be watching to see what our elders are doing. They're going to be watching to see what this church is doing, to see if they want to be a part of something that God is alive and powerful in 
Biblical elders must be spirit-appointed, not self-appointed. You know, our annual meeting that we had on November 14th, it wasn't just a meeting. It wasn't just business. I heard a lot of sharing. It was about discerning the unity of God's Spirit. Our elders did not campaign for their positions. There was much prayer and there was spiritual guidance that led the leadership team to the first elders of Living Hope Missionary Church of Dunfee. Christ-like elders that are servant leaders are not rulers, they are not dictators. Christ's principles of brotherly community, love, humility, and servanthood are at the very heart of our leadership here at Living Hope. A humble servant character of the eldership does not uh, does not imply an absence, though, of authority. Biblical eldership will demonstrate how Christian leadership authority is a good thing, and it's exercised through transparency and humility in the local church. So let's get to this last point. God honors obedience to his processes. Israel, your strength is related to your obedience to God. Living Hope Missionary Church, your strength is related to your obedience to God. God's Word teaches eldership. Many church problems are the result of outright disobedience to clear instructions in the Scripture pertaining to biblical eldership and many other clear instructions. I want to give you some examples from James chapter 5. Some examples that I experienced myself about biblical eldership and obedience to God's Word. James chapter 5, I want to read verses 14 and 15. Some of you might say, I've heard something like that before. But did they really mean it? Some of you will be like, really? Is that what we're supposed to do? And some of you hopefully have experienced this, but listen to this. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. What do you think? Does it matter what you think? This is God's Word. Obedience to God's Word gives us the strength of God. Here's some of my experience. First of all, 
early on in my ministry, I, I learned about this and learned about the fact that we're supposed to follow God's commands. And on my keychain that I carry around with me all the time, I have this. It's a vial with holy oil in it. Scripture says, anoint him with oil. How can I be a pastor if I don't have any oil? When someone comes to me and says, I want you to do what God commands us in James. So I started carrying this early on and it it came in handy a lot. It's not magical, but it's part of God's command. Two separate occasions at my last church. Um, there were people that came came to me. One of them was an elder. And so he came to me individually and he said, Pastor, something's going on. I don't even want to talk about it. But Scripture commands me to. He said, I've got some type of internal bleeding. It's been going on for a while now and I'm going to the doctor tomorrow so they can figure out what's going on. Would you anoint me with oil? Lay your hands on me and pray for me. I did it. And uh, I'd like to say I always expect God to do what I'm praying for, but (laughs) it doesn't always happen that way. We know that God is sovereign, and His will is that we do this, and His will will be done. Well, that next day, He went to the doctor and Um, They did their testing, their scoping and everything, and he was perfectly normal. They could see no reason why he had internal bleeding before, no reason why he had internal bleeding now, because he didn't. And uh, one of the things that I was kind of disappointed with on that occasion was it's not my responsibility to share somebody's testimony. So I didn't share it with the church, but I was waiting for him to. The scripture calls us to encourage one another with what God is doing in your life. And he never did share that. But about a year later, um, a woman came and said, I think we need to call the elders together. And she had the same thing, some type of internal bleeding. And, and so at that time, then I called the other elders and we got met her at the church, and we did the same thing, but we did it as a team of elders. And the same exact results, she went to the doctor the next day, and there was nothing. God decided to heal her. And I can't even say what he healed her from, because we don't know, because he didn't see, the docs didn't see anything wrong. It happens. It, and you got to be careful, you can't say it's magic, although... I suppose, what, how do you define magic except something that we can't explain? But we can explain it. It's God. God doing, he's giving us strength. It's directly related to our obedience to what he says. A couple of years after I was there, um, we had a couple that liked running marathons and so the two the husband and wife would always go out and run and they went out and ran in late October and it was a night that 
we had rain and then it froze and they were running in the dark and she slipped on the ice and broke her ankle. And it was a horrible break. Um, the next morning I went over to their home and, and I had my oil with me and I anointed her and laid hands on her and prayed for her. And she went to the doctor and she still had a broken ankle. <laughs> but through the process, she grew spiritually. And she grew to complete healing where she was running marathons again before the end of the year. It was amazing, a miracle to me. But the greatest thing was her spiritual growth. You never know what the healing is going to be like when when you're working with God. But he did it. And then this other story I've shared with you before, but I'm going to share it again because not everybody heard it before. Um, I was going to the hospital to visit my mother-in-law and a, a lady from our church, her, her daughter-in-law was in the hospital and was brain dead and they were going to unplug and she told me this on Sunday that this was going to happen and, and I said, you know, if, if he would like, I'll come and pray with him, I'll come and talk to him, whatever I can do to help, I'd love to be able to help. And she said, well, I'll ask him. So I just got to the hospital. My phone rang, and um, it was this lady, and she said, he would love to have you come and pray. I just talked to him. And I said, I just drove into the hospital. I'll go directly to his room. And I did, and I talked to him for a while and found out she had been brain dead. Um, Jay, I'm sure you can explain this a lot better I don't know what the difference is between coma and brain dead, but she was brain dead. They said, you know, no brain waves, and the only thing that's keeping her alive is are the machines. And she was totally unresponsive for several days, and so they were going to go ahead and unplug her the next day. And so I talked to the husband, you know, I said, I can't imagine what it's going, like going through this, and he shared these horrible things that she did in her life and oh and she was an alcoholic mean to the kids but he said but she believes (laughs) I don't know what that meant she believes she she had some belief Uh, okay I said you know I I would love to read her some scripture and pray with her if that's okay with you and I showed him I said I've got this vial of oil, I'd like to anoint her and, and just pray over her if, if that would be good with you. Oh, yes, I'd love it if you'd do that. So he and I were the only ones in the room, and I read um, a psalm to her, and I don't remember which one it was now exactly, but read that and talking to her, told her who I was, absolutely no response. But I've heard the hearing is the last thing to go, so I talked to her like she could tell everything that I was talking about. And I got down real close to her and I said, I'm going to anoint you with this holy oil in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I just want to lay my hands on and pray for you. And I did it. And I, when I laid my hand on her and started praying for her, she opened her eyes. She rolled over and looked at me as I was praying. Her husband almost passed out. He, he was crying, and I was crying, and I was just praying for her. 
And I didn't know when to stop because I thought, is she going to get up and dance? (laughs) She didn't. (laughs) But God was there. She was not completely healed that I could see. But God gave this woman and her husband a moment of life. He breathed a moment of life in her that by a medical point of view should have never happened. But it did. This was the gift of God. A gift from God where we had strength because we were obedient to His will. And one other example I want to share with you. When we first moved in um, to Coutts, Indiana, south of Valparaiso, and started ministry at the church, we found this one man was self-employed and he didn't have a lot of work. And so we employed him to build a a deck on the back of our house because he did construction type work. And he did a beautiful job making a nice big deck for the back of our house so we could entertain people from the church and people in our community. And, And what a great place for a small group, even holistic small group going on right there and off our own back door. And this guy did a great job. And I noticed over the years, actually, you couldn't see it overnight, but he started really slowing down. And he got to the point where he couldn't work anymore. He, he just didn't have the strength in his body. And he started using a cane. And then um, I took him to a revival It was a a place where he would go and spend three days with other men and they would just pour love into him and and he would be with other guys that were just being poured into and the Holy Spirit would be there. I just knew it because I'd been through it myself and several other men had. But I took him to that. I drove him and I took his, his luggage and I said, we just need to go right up here to the building and check in. And it was up a, a small hill with, if you took the sidewalk, there were two steps. One step, and then you walk, and then one more small step. And he got to that step. I didn't know how bad he was. He got down on his hands and knees. He's the same age as me, and crawled to that door so that God could make a difference in his life. He went to the doctors and finally got his diagnosis. It was even after this experience. He said, Pastor, I've got Lou Gehrig's disease. I don't know if you've heard of that, but that's pretty much a death sentence. It's a really bad type of muscular dystrophy. He was so weak, and it would just get worse, and it would move into his organs, and his organs would begin to shut down. He said, I need the elders to pray over me. I said, yeah, you do. So after church, we did. We anointed him with oil. He and his wife, And the entire church had an opportunity to just lay hands on and pray over him. And I could tell that there was something going on. 
But he didn't get up and dance. But he continued to, to decline. He started with, he then went to a walker and checking with other doctors. And finally, he came to this specialist in Indianapolis. And they did more and more testing. And they said, you know what, Kurt, his name's Kurt, you don't have Lou Gehrig's disease. You just have a bad muscular dystrophy disease. You wouldn't believe how happy that made him. Can you imagine being so happy that you have muscular dystrophy? But he was. And he praised God for his healing. Did he have Lou Gehrig's disease to begin with? I don't know. It was specialists in Boston. I would assume they don't make a lot of mistakes. But he didn't have Lou Gehrig's disease anymore. And this man grew in his spiritual life so fast. It had a lot to do with that revival time, but it also had a lot to do with what God was doing in his, in his life. We followed God's commands. We were obedient to what God was telling us to do. And that was where our strength was found. And he's still growing spiritually. He'll still, still send a, a scripture verse to me now and then. He would share during our encouragement time in church. He was usually the one that would read everybody a scripture verse that really meant a lot to him that week. And it encouraged all of us. So we need to be obedient to God's processes. And eldership is just one example. And this is one example. And I don't want Living Hope Missionary Church to be without the opportunity to do what the Scripture tells you to do. Is Brian here? Hey, Brian, come down here. Jay, would you come up here, please? Get as close as you feel comfortable. <laughs> I have a vial here for each of you that I want to give to you, and I want it to be a token of our appreciation for serving as elder. But I want you both to realize it's not just a token. This is something God has called you to, to also. I would recommend you put it on your keychain. You can do what you want. This chain, I, after a while, I end up using just a regular ring. I've had them in these bags now for a few weeks with oil in them, and they're not leaking. One of the things I learned was you don't fiddle with it when it's in your pocket because the top might come off and you might anoint yourself. <laughs> you don't need to be doing that. But I want to take this and I want to just pray over the oil here to make sure that it is holy oil and I want to consecrate both of you with it before you take it and use it on others. So let's just pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us to be the church. We thank you for the leadership that you've called in this church. Thank you for Brian and Jay to be willing to answer your call. And we just pray that uh, this 
oil that they will be taking with them may be considered a holy oil that when they use it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, that you will be present. Not only at that moment, that, but every moment after that, as it touches that person or it touches that place that it's used. May it be a special moment right now to set them aside as holy leaders for you at this church. Jay, I anoint you with this oil in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Brian, I consecrate you with this oil. Set you apart as a leader for God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Father, we thank you for the prayers of the church last week that um, they will be answered and we pray that you'll continue to watch over these men as they um, also come closer to the new pastor and as a team together, they may be one in plurality with you and your Holy Spirit to help lead this church at a 30,000-foot level. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Um, the elders have already been at work. There was a handout in the back that you may or may not have grabbed. And one of the things that the elders need to do is stay at the 30,000-foot level. They don't